Well, saints, if you would, open your Bibles to the second epistle of John. So second John, and of course we're in chapter one, but of course there's only one chapter. So second John chapter one, verse three. It's a greeting. It's a greeting that is, is very unique, very wonderful as we see here God works these truths out, but the greeting is simply this, grace, mercy, and peace will be with you from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, in truth and love. So he mentions these three things. Now, Paul, we've talked about on Wednesday, usually just in his epistles, he'll put grace and peace. But in certain epistles, Paul would, would write grace, mercy, and peace, and John does this here. And these three things, the grace, the mercy, and the peace, not, not that they may be with you, but they will be with you. There's an absolute confidence of what's going on. They will be with you. And then it says, from God the Father and from the Lord Jesus, the Son of the Father. So speaking of God the Father and God the Son. And then it says this, these three, the grace, mercy, and peace will be with you. One, in truth... And the second thing that this grace, mercy, and peace will be with you in love. And this truth in love is a unique concept that comes in Christianity. Now understand that there is a debate in some Christian circles as to which of the two does the Bible place a greater emphasis on. Is there a greater emphasis on the truth the word of God, or is there a greater emphasis on the love? And, and, and it's interesting that what we see here is, is the answer is yes. I hate to say it, the answer is yes. There is a greater emphasis on the truth and there is a greater emphasis on the love. And what we're going to see today in this study is those two are joined beautifully. In other words, you can call it a coin Heads and tails, truth and love, it's the same coin. It doesn't change. How you look at it, you, you may look at it from one side or the other side, but they're all the same. It's the exact same thing that God and His Spirit is calling us to do. And so what happens is this. There are those Christians who are going to base their status of their salvation on their ability to walk in the truth, and that's what they do. They're focused purely on the truth the truth in their lives, the things they're going to walk in their lives, the thing they do in their lives, and they make that a status of their salvation. But what they'll also do is this. As they walk in the truth, as they keep the commandments, they are going to make sure that everybody else around them knows when they're not. I'm going to correct you, and I'm going to correct you, and I'm always going to correct those that aren't walking in the commandments that I deem are the right ones. Now, keep in mind that what if, if you break one commandment, you're guilty of all of them. So understand that if you are like me and you want a bacon cheeseburger, and I'm stressing the bacon, then you can keep other, every other commandment, and it means nothing until you say, I will keep everything that you want, Lord. 
Now, granted, I'm going to just, just for my own sake here, because I wasn't planning on saying that, but for my own sake, God says what? Hey, whatever God has done, he told Peter, rise, Peter, kill and eat. What God has made holy, let, let no man, you know, say is unholy. So, so he told Peter to eat it. I'm going with that. I'm good on that. But what happens is this. When you use the commandments as a status, you use this commandment as a pulpit, and you say, this is what I'm doing, and, and this is where my status is, and this is where your status is. It's all in the truth. It's all in the truth. It's all in the truth. And now there's another camp. And this camp says, no, 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 wait a second. It's, it's only in love. It's all about love. And, and so what, what I can do is this. Is I just, I just want to love. I want to love, and I want to love. And I don't care about keeping the commandments. I just want to love people. Well, the issue being is this, that, that so often they become so disheartened with the commandments, so putting them aside that they think, I don't need to do that, and I can actually live a life of practice sin, and I'm still good because I'm loving. And it's unique that what happens is this, that when they begin to live that life of practice sin, they claim what? Oh, I'm under grace. I simply am under grace. Well, grace isn't a license to sin. Grace is that truth that wherever I am in sin, grace allows me to turn from that sin and come back to God. That's grace. Not, not stay here and practice or, or walk away from God. That's licentiousness. Grace is, is turning back to God. He gives you that understanding. And so keep in mind that, that in actuality, these two things... That this truth and the love cannot be separated. They are absolutely, perfectly joined together in unity. I want to take you to a passage that will sort of explain what I'm talking about. It's found in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And what is it? Well, you know, it's a chapter of love. Or at least the first part of it is. And what Paul begins to do in this chapter is this. He begins to say initially in these first three verses of chapter 13 of 1 Corinthians that there's a way of speaking, there's a way of, of having knowledge, there's a way of doing things. In other words, truth. I can do all those things. I can do truth. But what happens if we don't have love, we're going to see in just a moment it's meaningless. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 13.1. Though I speak with the tongue of men and angels. Do you understand? The, the, the Old Testament says, the New Testament, it was, angels gave this word. Angels were the ones who spoke to the prophets. And, and many times it did. And of course we know the angel Lord Jesus Christ through his spirit, all this word was given. But if I speak with the tongue of men and of angels, if I speak this truth, if I'm declaring truth, but it says here, I have not love, I'm sounding brass. I'm clanging cymbals. Do you understand that this truth that I could be proclaiming, if love isn't my motivation, then I simply am what? I'm just a noisemaker. Now it goes on to say in verse 2, and though I have the gift of prophecy, though I am able to prophesy, and I understand all mysteries, and then he says this, and all knowledge. 
man, I've got it all. I've got, I've got an understanding of the word of God. I understand its mysteries. I have knowledge. And although I have all faith that I believe in this knowledge and I'm walking out this knowledge, that I can remove the mountains and I have not love, he says, I am nothing. Do you understand that this knowledge... Without the love is what? Well, you're missing the other side of the coin. You can have all that and you're nothing. He goes on and says, now I'm walking this knowledge. Look at verse 3. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned, but I have not love, it profits me nothing. Now, it's getting pretty clear, isn't it? It's understanding that this whole thing about knowledge, this whole thing about truth, this whole thing about understanding the, 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 the tongues of men and tongues of angels and, and mysteries and knowledge and all these things and giving my body and walking these truths to the degree that I sacrifice myself to the point of death without love, nada, zero, zilch, zippo. And we see now that it means nothing. However, keep in mind, reading the same chapter, just going down a few verses to verse 6, it says this, speaking of love, because verse 4 says love suffers long, so it's love. Now verse 6, it says this, love does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in truth. You understand, you can't have love without truth, but you can't have truth without love. There has to be this wonderful balance between the two. And if you have one and you don't have the other, guess what? You're, you're missing it out. You're missing what God has intended for us as his children. Another passage I want to share with you found in the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to read a couple of verses to you. I'm going to read verses 12 through 17. I want to take it into context, but it says here in Colossians 3, 12. Therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. Now, this is important because it's not putting on pride Look at what I do. Look at how I keep the law. Look at on these things. It's put on what? Put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, and long-suffering. Bearing with one another, forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against one another, even as Christ forgave you, so you must also do. And then he says this, with all those things you're putting on, now verse 14 comes into play. And above all these things, things put on love. See, do all the right things. Keep yourself humble. You know, glorify God with what you do. But above all these things, not, not just with all these things, above all these things. So in other words, this is the top layer. Above all these things, he says, put on love, which is what? The bond of perfection. You understand it knits all these things perfectly. It takes truth and it makes it perfect. All those things that we were talking about there in 1 Corinthians 13, the first three verses, it makes them what? It makes them perfect. 
It makes the knowledge perfect, the wisdom perfect, the mysteries perfect, the sacrifices perfect. Everything becomes perfect when what? When love is the key, when love is the motivation, when love is that direction. And we see here, verse 14 of Colossians 3, above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which you are also called in one body, and be thankful. And then he says this, verse 16, and let the word of Christ, knowledge, let this word, the truth, dwell in you richly. Let this word. I love the heart that God begins to do because Paul does what? He puts both sides of the coin right here. Above all these things, put on love, but let that word dwell in you richly. Don't forsake it. Don't think, I don't need to do it. I don't need the commandments. I don't need. No, I need that because we're going to see in just a moment, it is the key to am I walking in love? And so we look to this, is let the word of Christ dwell in you richly with all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns. So now he says what? Use this truth to bring others into the truth. But you got to do it what? You got to do it in love. See, it isn't about simply correcting people for correcting saints. It's about loving them. And then letting that word that you're living, the word that you're declaring as you're loving them, let that word that you give that realize, God, your word is not going to return void. It's going to go and it's going to do that which you've purposed it to do, and we're glorifying you. So as he says this, he makes this statement, verse 16 again, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do in word or in deed, truth understood and truth walked. Understand, above all these things, put on love. But whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks. Responding in gratitude, responding in love. This is what the whole key is. I want to give you two visuals to, to, to think about, two visuals to sort of ponder. First and foremost, think of a compass. You guys know what a compass is, just a little piece of, you know, arrow that spins around, you know, wanting to hit true north. But as you look to this compass, I want to share with you, love is true north. Love is true north. Love is the absolute pinpoint, say, this is true north. And, and we understand this is the direction God wants you to go. He wants you to go true north. But what truth is, is truth is that little needle that spins around. Truth is, where is that needle pointing? See, if I don't have that needle saying, Lord, you're about 15 degrees off of true north, or sometimes, Lord, you're heading true south. This is the needle is needed to show me where I'm going. I need both. I need to know that there's a true north. If there's, you know, if you're on the top of the North Pole, the needle just spins around and around. You don't know what true north is. Or if you're somewhere where a magnetic, you know, pulling you off to the side, you're not in true north. There has to be a true north. There has to be an absolute perfect direction. And God says that's love. 
But then there's a needle. The truth of God is this needle saying, you're not there, you're not there. Get over in this direction, walk here. That's going to get you to where you're at. This is true love. And the needle, the truth of God shows me where I'm walking in air, and it shows me when I'm walking true. I look, it's like, oh, this is true north. I'm going in the right direction. And I, God, you're so good. Or it's like, hey, I'm off a few degrees. Well, more likely I'm off a lot of degrees, but he always brings me back. I know what true north. You know what I need? I need both. I need to have a true north, and I need to have the needle to show me where I'm going. Another visual, if, if you're an, an, a guy that likes to fly, you can have two different things. Flight requires two things. It requires thrust, but also requires lift. See, you can go really, really, really fast, and that's what truth does. Truth is, boy, you're just cruising along, you're doing well, but if you don't have love, you're not going to actually fly. You're not going to be on wings of eagles. You're going to be just running on your feet. Now, God wants us what? Oh, he wants us to fly. But you've got to have what? You've got to have lift. You've got to have something that lifts you up. See, truth is just get your feet on the ground and run as fast as you can. But, but love is spreading your arms. Look at the cross. Look at the Lord on the cross. Love is spreading your arms. And, and, and it creates that lift. And, and that's what we want. We want, we want to fly. Now, you can run and run and run, and that's fine. Like, boy, you're making time, but I'll tell you what. You get the air currents underneath you? I don't know of any cars that can go as fast as planes. They just can't. And this is the beauty of what God is trying to show us here, that there are two things that we go through. And so I wanted to give you just those two, depending on how scientific you are or how much you love nature. But, but I think it's important to realize there's two things. See, flight, if you just have lift and lift and lift, but you have no thrust, you're not going to go anywhere. You can have the right thing. You can have the ability that when there is thrust, you get lift. But if you only have thrust and no lift, you're on the ground. If you only have lift and no thrust, you're not going anywhere. It takes the two. And that's what's so important about this whole issue of love and truth. Now, when it comes to truth, Jesus gives us that perfect definition of truth. Found in John 17, 17, where he says, sanctify them by your truth. And then he says what? Your word is truth. His word is what is the truth, the, 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 the word of God, those things that were given by the angels, that is truth. And we want to do what? Well, I want to realize this truth is sanctifying me, the truth is pointing me, where is true north? Where is true love? Where is this love that you want me to walk in? And I think that's what's so important. And realizing that within his word, it begins to tell us over and over again, this is where love is. Now, we understand. Jesus says your word is truth. But John does something unique. In his first epistle, in 1 John chapter 3, verse 18, John actually tells us how to love. He makes this statement, 1 John 3, 18, little children, let us not love in word or tongue, but in deed and truth. 
Do you realize? Just don't say, oh, I love, I love, I love. Do something. If you just love in word, if you just love in, in, in tongue, oh, I love this and I love, and I love you and all this. And Okay, where's the evidence? And I love what John does because he shows you the other side of the coin. Do little children, you whom I love, let us not love in word or tongue, but in deed and in truth. Do you understand how you can't separate these? Paul does separate. Jesus, no one separates. But to tell you what, we as Christians, we separate this. Oh, no, no, no. It's all about the truth. It's all about the commandments. It's all about me walking and, and me looking how good I am and patting myself on the back because look at what I've accomplished. But it's about what? It's about love. Those things mean nothing unless you love. And it's, oh, I'm just love, 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 and, and sin all you want. But no, it's truth too. And it's important to have the balance. And so we see that, that John here tells us how to love. And, and, and the beautiful thing is that Paul actually tells us how to walk in truth. There's a passage in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5. I want to read it to you. But it, it makes this statement. Paul, writing to Timothy in his first letter to Timothy, says this in what we consider chapter 1, verse 5. Now the purpose of the commandment. He says this. The purpose of the commandment is love. Ta-da! We see it once again. The purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart, from a good conscience, and from a sincere faith. Do you understand the purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart? In other words, the commandment has no other motivation. It isn't a pat on my back. It isn't look at what I've accomplished. It isn't now that I'm doing this, God is glorified. All these things. No, you can do all these things we already read about, right? 1 Corinthians 13, you're doing all those things without love. And what is it? It's nothing. You do it with love and it becomes everything. But you can't separate love because, because love rejoices in the truth. It doesn't rejoice in the absence of truth. And we begin to see here that what Paul says is this is truly the key. The purpose of the commandment is love from a pure heart. No other motive in my life than loving God and loving people. And, and what the commandment says is, yep, you're doing this, and that's right on the mark for love. Your heart is to love, and now you're doing the right thing, revealing what love is. There's no other motive. And then he says that the purpose of the commandment is love. Not only does he say here from a pure heart, but he says it's love from a good conscience. In other words, that, that my life is not being compromised through sin. You understand that if you're saying that I'm loving God, but you're walking in darkness, you're a liar. If you're not walking in truth, you're a liar. The truth isn't in you. God isn't in you. And it has to be like Paul is saying here. It has to be, yes, from a pure heart, no other motive but love. But it has to be from a good conscience. Now, what makes your conscience good? Not sinning. Walking in the direction that God says. 
But it's doing those things that God begins to say, there's no other motive and I'm not compromised through sin. And, and what I begin to see is this, is that when it comes to this area of really having this love from a pure heart, from this good conscience, what does it mean for me? Well, sometimes it means this, that, that I am repenting. What, what the purpose of the commandment is love, but what happens is when there's a lack of repentance for walking the wrong way, then I'm just free to walk that way. But when I say, Lord, this is an error, I want to turn and I want to go in the direction that you called me to do. That's repenting. That's turning. And it's important. This is what Paul is saying. It has to be love from this pure heart, yes, but also a good conscience. And then he says this, sincere faith. How amazing is this, that my focus is on God and on God alone. It's for you, Lord. It is just for you. It is my way of saying thank you for everything you've done. And, and so beautifully that Paul puts this powerful passage in this little tiny verse, this understanding of truth and love, the purpose of all the commandments, all the statutes, everything in the word of God, the purpose of that is what? Love. They came to Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Love God, love people. He makes it so simple, so easy. And Paul here says the purpose of commandment is love, but the threefold, one pure heart, no other motive, good conscience, not compromised through sin. There is no lack of repenting in my life. When he shows me I'm off, I'm going to say, God, your word says I'm off. I'm going to believe it. Get me back on track. And then I'm, I'm only focused on you, Lord. What I do is because of you. What I do is through you. What I do, you enable me. And so we realize here, and there's this wonderful thing that if you want to grasp a truth, but it declares this, love without truth is sentimentality. What is sentimentality? It means it supports and it affirms, but it also keeps us in denial. See, if you love I just love you, and I love you, and I, I support you, and I agree with you, and, and you can do what you want to do, and I will always love you, and you know what? It's going to support them. It's going to affirm them, but eventually that love has to do what? There has to be them truth mixed in with it because love without truth is simply sentimentality. It means that, that I'm, going to, I'm just going to make you all gushy and warm, and you're perfect the way you are. It's true. But now keep in mind that if you have truth without love, it's brutality. You, you can't have the one without the other. You can't just love, love, and love and not have truth. And you can't have true, true, truth without love. Because what truth without love is it gives me all the information. It gives me all the data. But, but what happens is it gives me information in a way that I can't receive it. There have been times in my life that people have tried to correct me and I just couldn't receive it. I, I just couldn't. But there have been other times where once that love became absolute evidence, they would share the exact same truth and my heart would be open and it would be broken and it would be, oh God, you're good. Thank you for sharing me this word. But keep in mind, love without truth, simply sentimentality. It, it, it's not going to, it's a denial that I have flaws. 
It's a denial that, that when I'm in sin. You can't just love me to love me. But you can't just simply always tell the truth. Because it's just brutality. And I, and I think it's important to realize that, that how does love speak the truth? I want to give you a couple of passages. Simply write them down as I share them with you. The first is found in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15. Ephesians 4.15 declares this, but speaking the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love. Do you understand? It's not just, just love them. No, it's speaking the truth in love that they may grow up in all things into him. Do you understand? I need to speak truth so that you can realize this direction is bad and I can make God again my focus. Because if I'm simply saying, oh, I'm going in sin, I'm going to sin. Are you walking towards God? No, you're not. You're walking away from God. And it's important. Walk to God. That's truth. And this is why he said, speaking the truth in love, Ephesians 4.15, that we may grow up in all things into him who is the head, Christ. I want to focus on him. I want to glorify him. I want to exalt him. And this is what it's important. I need to speak the truth, but I got to do it in love. And what does this in love mean? Well, there's a passage that you know well in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1. It says about this, that, that he who is spiritual seeks to restore in the spirit of gentleness. Do you realize what that is? It's a spirit of gentleness. It's like holding a baby. It is like holding a baby, gentleness, tenderness. And, and you who are spiritual, seek to restore. But don't grab them by the throat. Pay me what you owe me. Give God what is God's. Love them. I think it's so important to realize that, that when we want to restore and he says, you who are spiritual, seek to restore in the spirit of gentleness. How did Jesus do that? Well, it's interesting that there in John chapter 8, there in around verse 7, that there were these men who had brought this woman who was caught in the act of adultery. They said the very act. And Jesus went to all of her accusers and he said this. <laughs> what a great word. And this is how we need to approach others that we're trying to correct. We need to approach others and their flaws. This is what he said. You who are without sin, you can throw the stone at her first. And you know what happened to all of her accusers? One by one, from the oldest to the youngest, it says, they went away. They walked away and there was no one left except Jesus Christ and this woman who was caught in the very act of adultery. You who are without sin. And I think this is what's so important. If you're going to restore someone, realize that. Realize that I'm not going to cast a stone at you because I'm not without sin. But what I am going to try to do is this. That what Matthew teaches us, remember that passage in Matthew chapter 7, verses 3 and 4? He talks about this amazing thing called a speck and a plank. And he says, you know, you, you guys, when you want to clear the speck out of your brother's eye, 
and you don't realize that there's this plank, a log sticking out of yours. You want to clear out the speck, but every time you're looking to see where that speck is, you're beating on the side of the head with the plank that is in your own eye. He says, first, deal with the plank that is in your own eye. Then you'll see clearly to deal with the speck that is in your brother's eye. Now, I don't know if you understand doctoral procedures, but there's a different procedures for specks and planks. You walk into the ER and you say, hey, I got a plank sticking out of my face. They say, well, we need to deal with this. We got to get a doctor involved. We got to remove this plank from your face, from your eye. Now, if you walk in and say, I got a speck in my eye. All right, a little bit of water. It'll, it'll just wash it out. You wash it with the water of the word. That's what you do to your brother. You wash it with the water of the word. What do you do with yours? You go to God and you say, Lord, only your spirit can do this. I need the great physician for this. But your word given in love, the truth given in love will wash. And when someone's there, when saying, I'm willing to open my eyes to this word, I'm willing to open my eyes to the washing. You know what it's going to do? It's going to wash the specks away. This is the beauty of God's word, and I think it's so important for us to recognize what it is, that plank versus that, that speck. You who are spiritual, in this gentleness, in the gentleness restore, realize I am not without sin, and I've got planks, and then go to restore. Now, when you do that, I'll tell you what, it's going to be a whole different attitude. But when you go not realizing, oh my goodness, when you say, well, I don't have any sin. Look at what I do. I walk in the, I walk the law. I do this and you're not. And I'm superior, so I'm going to correct you. And, and you don't think you have any planks in your own eye. But all you can see is the specks in your brother. I will let me tell you about your specks there, brother. Do you realize how that's not of the Lord? And it's important to realize that when we come to this area of correcting, when we come to this area of wanting to minister, that we who are spiritual with gentleness restore. If you think that God has called you to restore, I want to share with you a passage in 2 Timothy, the second epistle that, that Paul wrote, the second letter that he wrote to his young son in the faith. In 2 Timothy chapter 2, I'm going to read verses 24 through 26. It's one that we should all have under our belt because it begins this, and the servant of the Lord must. Wow. That should just, everyone's eyes should pop open now. Oh my goodness, the servant of the Lord? You're not talking about just you, Pastor Lowell. You're talking about every servant of the Lord? Yes, the servant of the Lord must. Not the servant of the Lord should, or the servant of the Lord when he feels like it. The servant of the Lord must. That's how it starts. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 24, and the servant of the Lord must not quarrel but be gentle. <laughs> it isn't winning an argument. It's about glorifying God. A servant in the Lord must not quarrel and be gentle and able to teach. 
and patient. In humility correcting those who are in opposition. Do you understand the spirit of dialogue that God gives to us? It isn't about winning an argument. It isn't about saying, I know the truth. The bottom line is every time you think you know the truth, put it back inside the very front of your mind is this, that we see through a glass dimly. I have been teaching the Bible now for over 20-some years, taught through it almost twice. Give me a couple more months, I'll say taught through it twice. But I think it's important, I want to share with you that I still see through a glass dimly. I still look at passages and they just illuminate my mind. How did I miss this? I've read this passage hundreds of times. And I mean every passage in the Bible, hundreds of times. Why didn't I see it the first hundred times? Why didn't I see it the first 30 times as I was preparing for the study? And now all of a sudden it jumps out of me in this crazy way to say, look at how deep this goes. And it goes so deep. And now I'm forced, I'm forced to just say, I'm going to communicate the depth of this, the depth of this in approximately 60 minutes. It's like, oh my goodness, you think it's easy. It is the most difficult thing to say, I can get tons of data whittling it down. Oh, that's pray for me. You know, I do, Pastor Lowell, we do. But I think it's important to realize that the servant of the Lord must not quarrel. Be careful of the attitude that you use to have conversations. Be gentle. And then it says this. Be able to teach and patient. People aren't going to get it right away. People aren't going to see the way that you see. And then it says this, in humility correcting one another. It's realizing that, that I have sin, so I can't cast the first stone. It's realizing that I've got planks in my eyes, but it's in, it's in humility correcting those who are in opposition. And realizing that what I'm doing is I'm correcting it with a very limited grasp of the word as a whole. Now, you can think you understand a passage. And I'm going to tell you, take that passage in the context of what it's written. Then take that context of what it's written in the context of the chapter. Then take that chapter in the context of the book. And then take that book in the context of the Bible as a whole. And I will guarantee you, I will guarantee you, like God has guaranteed me, I see through a glass dimly. When we stand in absolute authority that we're willing to quarrel, to stand up in opposition to those things, not in humility, not gentle, not with patience, but trying to guide, guide the people to the whole of the word, not just a passage you want to stand on. There's all kinds of passages to stand on. I can't tell you how many people that want to stand on those passages. Hey, anything I say that I ask Jesus, he has to do it called name it and claim it. Anything by faith, I'm going to say, God, give me this car. Give me this house. Give me this person. I'm going to claim it. Give me this degree of health. I'm going to claim it. Be careful. When you ask in his will, he's going to say this. The scripture teaches when we're asking is what? What can I do for you, Lord? What you call me to do, would you empower me to do it? You ask that, you, absolutely. You seek my heart, you seek my will, and you want to walk that will that I put upon your heart, I will give you the power to walk it. And there's not a mountain that will stand in your way. 
I will remove every single mountain to get you right in the path to do what? Walk true north. Walk in love. Walk to me. And this is what's so important. And so we begin to see here this glorious heart that, that Timothy is receiving from Paul when he says, A servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but be gentle, be able to teach, patient, in humility, correcting those who are in opposition. If God perhaps will grant them repentance so they may know the truth. Do you understand? I want you to know the truth. I desire you to know the truth. I desire you to walk the truth. But I also want to love you. And let it be the spirit that guides you in those things. And I want to be gentle in the way that I do it. I want you to realize that I'm not doing this from a position of superiority. It isn't that Pastor Lowell is perfect. Those of you that know me realize, no, you're not. And those that really, really know me know that I'm really, really not. But you know what the amazing thing is? They love me anyways. Just like God does. And they realize that those areas of not being perfect are what? It's not a baseline of who I am. I mean, I am a sinner. But what happens is it's an outlier to realize, boy, i got to watch myself here. And so it's important to realize, and it says, so that they may know the truth, verse 25. And then 26 of 2 Timothy 2 says this, and that they may come to their senses and escape the snare of the devil, having been taken captive by him to do his will. You know, we, we wrestle not against flesh and blood. And it's important to realize that, that when we do this, it's about praying. It's about moving. But it is important to realize that we need to be those who focus on Christ. The author of Hebrews puts it this way in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 23 through 25. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works do you realize they can't be separated and there's all these christians and it's one or the other the answer is no it's not they are perfectly and forever beautifully joined in unity And so when he he says this, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. Verse 25 of Hebrews chapter 10, and he says, or verse 24, and let us um, consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. In other words, come into the body so that we can, you know, have the iron sharpen iron that we can come into this place and we can experience the worship like we did this morning all together. We can experience the word being done. And then we can leave this and we can chat among ourselves and we can say, wow, what God is doing, pray for me here, pray for me here. But I think it's so important where he says in this passage, verse 25, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together. This is the manner of some but exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. We need to because, I'll tell you what, the world is becoming what? More and more wicked. And the problem is, is what? We are ourselves becoming more and more isolated. 
And it, it's true. E- even in the, you know, just to think about the last couple of years, what the whole government say, you need to not go to your family for Thanksgiving dinner. Don't go and, and join each other for Christmas. Don't go to church, you know, on Easter. Don't go to church, period. Don't go out of your house, period. And it's about what? Isolation, isolation, isolation. And, and that's what's happening. And, and so we're forsaking the assembly. And God says, get together. Get together. And the government says, don't get together because you could die. And God says, get together because you're dead. And I want to give you life. This is the heart of God. And he says, don't forsake the assembling ourselves together as the man or some, exhorting one another. Because as you see the day approaching, as the world is getting more and more wicked, brothers and sisters, we need to get together and pray that we ourselves will stand strong. Not just stand in the word, but stand in the word in love. Not just stand loving, but stand loving doing the word. And it's important that we exhort ourselves in both those ways. And then he says this in verse 26, for if we sin willfully after having received the knowledge of the truth, there's no longer remains a sacrifice for sins. It's important to have this heart that we, we, we knit each other. Let us consider one another. Do you understand? Look to one another, encourage one another, build up one another. Let us consider one another to stir up love and good works. How does that look practically? There's a passage in 2 Corinthians. I want to read it to you. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 4 makes this declaration. It says, Paul writing to the church in Corinth as he's been trying to correct them makes this declaration. For out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears. Oh my goodness. If that is the person that's correcting me, if the person comes to me with this burden in their heart for me, anguish in their heart for me, and, and, and not wanting to say, listen, I love you, and, and I, I, I want to, to know that I affirm you, and I, I'm, I'm a friend to you, but I also have to do what? I've got to be honest with you. I've got to bring light to the direction. I, I love you. It's true north, but, but the bottom line is what we all sometimes walk where we're the compass is off. Let's get back to the direction that's truth. And Paul says, out of much affliction and anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears, not that you should be grieved, but that you might know the love. Do you realize? I'm sharing you truth with my heart in gentleness, broken, realizing that I shouldn't be the one throwing the first stone that I'm coming to you in your specs with planks in my eyes. Do you realize the heart of that person? And then he says this, that you might know the love that I have so abundantly for you. There's a reason we love Paul. Paul, this apostle to the Gentiles, Paul, the apostle of grace, that he said, I, I'm going to share with you truth. I'm going to share with you truth. And Paul, everyone says, well, Paul's just, just grace, grace, grace. No, he's not. He's sharing truth. But the truth that he shares is this. They asked him a question. He says, well, I want you to think about this. And he shows them error and think about this. And it shows them truth. And he says, what? Which one are you going to walk in? 
I'm showing you the two. But I love what Paul says. Out of much affliction, anguish of heart, I wrote to you with many tears. Not that you should be grieved. I'm not just here to beat you up. Not just here to beat you down. I'm here because I want you to know that I love you. And I want you to know that God loves you. And I want you to know that this direction that you're walking, you can experience the love of God. Come back true north. Experience his love and experience this beautiful fellowship that God wants to have and I want to have with you. This is the heart. And I think it's important to realize what does that loving God being broken look like? Well, there is a beautiful example of truth and love and love walking in truth. It talks about both the flaws and it talks about both what is right. It's actually found in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 7. And if you would turn there. Now, as you turn to Luke, chapter 7, I want to initially read verse 47 to you. I just want to read it. And then I'm going to back it up. And I'm going to start reading again, starting in verse 36. But I want you to focus on the verse 47 for just a moment because you know that Jesus is in the home of the Pharisee of Simon and this woman comes in, begins to weep and, and washes his feet with her tears and, and puts on the anointment. And, and, but in verse 47, Jesus makes this statement, Luke 7, 47, Therefore I say to you, her sins which are many are forgiven. And then he says this, for she loved much. Do you understand? It is a, oh, her sins are forgiven because she's walking the commandments. Oh, no, she just realizes she blew it. And she's coming grieving. She's coming worshiping. She's coming adoring him. And that's it. Do you understand? She, she's not saying, Lord, I will keep the Sabbath. Lord, I will not eat bacon on my burgers anymore. She's not saying any of that. She's weeping. She's crying. And Jesus says to all that she did is her sins are forgiven. They're forgiven for one reason, for she loved much, but to whom little is forgiven, the same loves little. You understand? Forgiveness does what? Boy, it makes me love. Oh, God, that you didn't give me my just, that you gave to me grace, mercy, and peace. And in this love that you have revealed, I want to walk in truth. In the truth that you have revealed to me, I want to walk in love. And, and it's all the same. And it doesn't change. Now, back up a little bit here in Luke chapter 7. And I want you to focus um, as we go through this. Luke chapter 7, beginning in verse 36. It says, And one of the Pharisees asked him to eat with him. And he went into the Pharisee's house, and he sat down to eat. And behold, a woman in the city, who was a sinner, when she knew that Jesus sat at the table at the Pharisee's house, brought an alabaster flask of fragrant oil, and stood at his feet behind him weeping. And she began to wash his feet with her tears, and she wiped them with the hair of her head. And she kissed his feet and anointed them with the fragrant oil. Now, when the Pharisee who had invited him, that is Jesus, saw this, the woman and her acts, he spoke to himself. You understand this Pharisee who does what? 
I'll guarantee that he does everything that we read about in 1 Corinthians 13, the first three verses. And I will guarantee you that he did all that without love. And it profited him nothing. And now he's looking at this woman and he's judging, not in the spirit of gentleness. He's looking at Jesus and he's judging, not in the spirit of gentleness, not realizing that he has planks in his eyes, not realizing that he is thinking that he's without sin. And so what we see is this, that he now, the Pharisee who had invited him, saw this. He spoke to himself in verse 39, saying, This man, speaking of Jesus, if he were a prophet, he would know who and what manner of woman this is who is touching him, for he is a sinner. He doesn't even know what kind of woman she is. If he was really of God, he would know what kind of woman she is. You know what kind of woman she was? See, the Pharisee saw her as a woman who was a sinner. Jesus saw her as a woman who was loved by God. Big difference. Do you know what kind of woman is this? Yeah, it's a woman who's loved by God. Do you know what kind of man that is? It's a man who's loved by God. See, how do you look to one another? Do you look to one another? Oh, you're a sinner and you're a sinner. And I'll tell you what, there are Christians who try to walk the law, fail miserably in it, but they walk certain ones so well. They go, this is my righteousness. And they look at everybody else and their flaws. Not realizing what? Do you see what kind of person that is? They're flawed and they're flawed. No, they're loved by God. Yeah, we're flawed. Don't, don't, make me, don't get me wrong. We all have specs. But we're loved by God. And Jesus answered in verse 40 of, of Luke 7 and said to him, Simon, I have something to say to you. He said, the teacher, say it. There was a certain creditor who had two debtors. One owed him 500 denarii and another 50. And when they had nothing which wished to pay, they freely forgave both of them. Tell me, which of them will love him more? Now, he gives him a real good answer. He makes this statement, I suppose. Really? You're a Pharisee? And like, well, maybe. No, no, it's absolutely. Which will love him more? And he goes, well, I, I suppose the one to whom he forgave more. And he said, well, you've judged rightly. You nailed it. You're pretty good. You've got it down, Simon. And, and, and as he does this, and he turned to the woman, he said to Simon, he says, do you see this woman? Now, of course, Simon has seen the woman, but he only saw the sin. Now, notice what Jesus says. Do you see the woman? I entered your house. You gave me no water for my feet. She has washed my feet with her tears and wiped them with the hair of her head. You gave me no kiss, but this woman has not ceased to kiss my feet since the time I came. Do you understand that Jesus is doing what? He's correcting Simon gently. And he's not saying, Simon, you are a horrible person. You're a horrible, you know, host. He's, he's saying, listen, Simon, you're judging her. And what she's doing, you didn't. You're judging, you're doing that well, but you didn't do these other things well. And you're thinking you're keeping all the commandments well, but you're not loving me. You're not ministering to me. You weren't grateful that I came into your house. You weren't grateful that I was in your presence. You weren't grateful that, that I am the forgiveness of your sins. You had no gratitude. This woman came in and all she has expressed is gratitude for me. And so he says, verse 46, you did not anoint my head with oil. This woman has anointed my feet with fragrant oil. Therefore, I say to you, verse 47, that her sins, which are many, are forgiven. 
Now, I'm going to ask you one question, just simply one question. Which of the commandments did she do? Which of the statutes did she do? Which of all of the regulations did she do? First commandment, love God. That's all she did. Just love God. And, and amazingly, she loved him in what? Not according to any rule or regulation. Who says, go to God and cry? <laughs> Who says, go to God and anoint? She went to God and she just opened her heart. That's the commandment. Go to God and open your heart. Just do that. Open your heart. Let him take your heart because he is the most amazing physician and he will fix what is broken. He will heal what, what, is, what is scarred and he will put it back. And that's what God does. And so he said to her in verse 48, your sins are forgiven. And those who sat at the table with him began to say, who, who is this who even forgives sins? Incredibly. And he said to the woman, notice this. He didn't say your love has saved you. He said your faith. What you have walked out, truth, what you have expressed in action, your faith has saved you. What you saw in me and acted out in that belief has saved you. Go in peace. Do you realize he didn't say, now go and do the Ten Commandments. Go and, no, just go in peace. The Spirit will work those things out in you. You're gonna, when, you're, when you're back on true north, do what God has called you to do. This is the heart. And brothers and sisters, I think that this is something that we have to come to grips with. If you want to experience, like John was saying in his epistle, the grace, the mercy, and the peace from God the Father and Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, if you want to experience that, you have to experience it, one, through the love, but you also have to experience it, one, through the truth. Because if you just have love, you're not going to truly experience the grace, the mercy, and the peace. Do you realize? Because you're not experiencing grace. You're going in sin. You're going in sin. You're going in sin. You never experience, God, you forgave me. I'm coming back, and I'm experiencing the fact that I have been forgiven, thus I love much. That's the heart of God. And she expressed it with simplicity. She expressed it in beauty. She expressed it in power. True power, saints. And this is the heart. And, and if you want to experience the grace, the mercy, and the peace, not only do you have to have this truth, but you've got to have love. Because if you don't have love, all these things, all the truth profits you what? Nothing. Nothing. But yet love rejoices in the truth. Brothers and sisters, this is the heart of God. This is the balance of truth and love. This is the balance of love and truth. And the two cannot be separate. The two are perfectly and forever joined in this incredible unity. May we be those who walk this truth. Amen? Father, we are so, so, so grateful for your word. 
Oh, the leading of your spirit. And Father, there are so many truths that, that we have pulled out that your spirit had been speaking to us in multiple, multiple ways through your word that we've searched, we've seen your heart, we've seen the light, we've seen that these two cannot be separate. There must be truth with love and there must be love with truth. The two cannot exist independently. It has to be together. And your spirit so beautifully spoke those things. And God, we are so grateful for your heart. But now that we know the truth, now that your spirit has illuminated us to this truth, we're asking now, God, very simply, that you through your spirit would empower us to walk the truth and to walk it in love. Let it be your work in us that we cannot boast that we cannot take pride in who we are and what we're doing or how we're loving and how we're doing all of these things so graciously, but to realize that it's your grace upon us that enables us to do anything that you gift us with your heart, you gift us with the truth. You opened our eyes, and, and with that same grace that you bestowed upon us, with the same comfort you've given us, knowing that we are forgiven, let us comfort others, knowing, God, that we can tell them that you love them. You love them so much. You died for them. Oh, Lord, have your way in us and begin to reveal this glorious truth as we come to this time of communion. Come to this time of receiving the, the bread and the cup. Oh, let this truth wash over us as we celebrate love and truth. We ask it in Jesus' name. And all the saints of God said, Amen.